0: It's a great blessing and privilege to start before you with God's word. So kindly turn to Romans 9. Please hear the word of God. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my spirit. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ's For the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. So not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For well, this is what the promise said. About this time next year I shall return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah and conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had not done, and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lamb one vessel for honourable use and another for dishonourable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you're not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. God will carry out His sentence up, uh, upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. The grass withers. The flower fails, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. This last message on Romans 9, I pointed out to you that there are two types of vessels. Vessels of wrath, also called vessels of dishonor. And vessels of mercy or vessels of honor. And you're one of them. You're either a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath. You cannot sit there and say, I am neither of those. Cannot say, none of the above. You cannot you cannot. think that I can be one at one time and another at another time. So you can say both. No. There are only two types of vessels for God, and you're one of them. The bad news is that there might be vessels of wrath seated here with us this morning, lifting up voices in praise of God, and right here. And this is a terrifying thing to know that you could be a vessel of wrath prepared for destruction and yet sit here with us and escort us to glory. It's a terrifying thing because vessels of wrath will have had the gospel. They might have sung praises to God They might have been members of a church. They might have been even leaders of a church. The good news is that you don't have to be a vessel of wrath. You don't have to be because there is no requirement There is no demand on you to change yourself because you can't change yourself. A leopard cannot change its spots, can it? An Ethiopian or a black man cannot change the color of his skin and take away the melanin. You can't. Well, well, you can try. You can try. I know those who have been trying, but not very successful. The point is this, no one can operate on himself that wonderful operation of removing the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, a tremble at the word of God. Only God can do that wonderful operation. So we ask them this morning, why is it that there are vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy? Now, in the last message, I pointed out to you the purpose for which God made vessels of wrath. We could very quickly recap those points. The Bible says in verse 22, What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power as endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy. What do we see there as the purposes for which God has vessels of, mer- of uh, wrath? Obviously, to display his wrath, to make known his power, to show his patience, and to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. And so today we are going to concentrate on the vessels of honor, the vessels of mercy. We might as well ask, what are vessels of honor or vessels of mercy? You know, an honorable vessel is a very special vessel, usually ornate, intricately painted could be a flower vase or a beautiful bowl which is in display or used to to serve food on very special occasions because that word honourable would also be translated valuable, highly esteemed because of the beauty of it. And so this represents those whom God has chosen to save. It's called the vessels of his mercy. We notice the following four things about the vessels of mercy. First of all, they know the riches of God's glory. Because that's, that's what the Bible says here. God has made known to them the riches of his glory. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. In verse 23. You also notice that they were prepared beforehand for glory. And you notice that they are called from Jews and Gentiles for glory. And these vessels of, of mercy are us who believe in Christ Jesus. They know the riches of God's law. Or at least God has made known, uh, made known to them. So those people that we've been talking about from the very beginning of the chapter, actually going all the way back to chapter 8, verse 28, the ones that God chose. He identified them. He set his distinguishing love and affection upon them from before the foundation of the world. Those whom he chose in Christ Those whom he elected before the foundation of the world. Those he has chosen to put on display the attribute of his mercy. He did not deal with them as their sins deserve. He displayed the attribute Of his mercy, because God is merciful and gracious. He is low to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God has demonstrated his grace upon them in his son, because he chose them in Christ. And this afternoon we'll be considering that phrase, in Christ, during the Holy Communion. And the Bible talks about God uh, showing his love, demonstrating his love. And then he set them into the house, which would represent the church, even for the, the world and the principalities, to see the beauty of his grace and mercy and love at work in their lives, even though they deserved none of that. And it would be a reason that honor would be given to the porter for such a skill and excellence. His ability to make such such a spectacular vessel that radiates beauty and glory is a source of bringing praise to the porter that he could fashion such a piece of pottery, such a vessel. How do we make known the riches of his glory? Perhaps you might need to ask, what is the glory of God? First, it is all the attributes of God that speak of his splendor and majesty. That is the, the sum and the substance of all who God is. And for it to be the riches of his glory, the unfathomable splendor and beauty of God. Because we know that God possesses incomprehensible glory. He has chosen to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. And this was not an afterthought. He did this. The Bible says, "Before hard for glory." God reveals to the vessels of mercy the riches of His glory, and in so doing prepares them for this glory. This means that the vessels of mercy know. That is, they are recipients of the glory of God But that word "glory also. Is a description of what God does upon those whom He prepared for glory. He gives them resurrection bodies, glorified bodies. This is when we will be glorified, when Christ Jesus shall return. Our glorification will take place when our earthly mortal Corruptible, perishable bodies put on heavenly, immortal, incorruptible, imperishable, and glorified bodies. Uh, You can consult with uh, Pastor Sam later in the week as he deals with the subject of eschatology. But there will come a time when we will put on immortality and we step into glory in eternity, when the world process of our redemption will be completed, then we shall put on glory. And so the end of verse 23 is really teaching us that the sovereign election of God cannot miscarry along the way. And this is something that we conceded in Romans eight, twenty-nine, and 30 where we saw that those whom he predestinated, he also glorified. And there is no way that that process can be stopped by anything or by anyone along the way. If God chose you for salvation, he will bear you up all the way to glory. He cannot stop or leave you on the way so the bible says that he prepared these vessels of mercy for before had for glory so they will be and they are vessels of honor and so vessels destined for glory the second uh, or perhaps that bad use of this word here glory refers to glory as a synonym for the final state this is after the return of christ the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment when the righteous will be sent to glory we shall be in glory that is in the presence of the glory of the triune god and we will be in we will bask in all that splendor in the presence of God. We will see His majesty. But why is it that uh, we are described or Christians are described as vessels of mercy? You realize that mercy is the theme that is running through Romans 9. Just to draw this to your attention, you go to verse 15, he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. In verse 16 it depends on God who has mercy. In verse 18 so then he has mercy on whom he wills. And now again in verse 23 to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. And the word mercy here represents really the totality of his seven grace. That is his electing love that he has set upon us is included. The riches of his love that moved him to the riches of his mercy and the riches of his grace that accomplished the, the, the riches of his love and mercy. Unless we think that this is a limited grace, he adds in verse 24, even us whom he has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Even us is what the Bible says. And when he says us, is opening it up. Not just to the Jews, but to all the nations, tribes and languages and races. It's not limited to one ethnic group like the Israelites only. It's a, a universe extending mercy as far as the curse is found in, whom, in whomever he predestined to eternal life. For Christians, God prepared you and me beforehand glory. Glory will not be an afterthought. It will be in accordance with his predestinating plan. He will do with you in all eternity exactly as he created you to be. And when it speaks of mercy, it means that it depends not on your Will or exertion, that is your effort, but on God's own purpose. That's what we read in verse 16. So then it depends not on human will. It depends not on your exertion or your effort. It depends not on anything else that we can construe, but it depends on who? God, who has mercy. And in God's mercy, He does not deal with us as our sins deserve. I mean, what do our sins deserve? The wrath and curse of God. But what do the vessels of mercy get? Glory. Did they deserve glory? No. They, they deserved Wrath and curse, they get glory. We get glory. I want you to think for a moment that God has prepared you to be a vessel of mercy, and therefore vessel of honor, to display his glory. Think about that. When you look at your life, is this what you are doing with your life? Really? Proving to be a vessel of mercy, therefore vessel of honor, therefore a vessel of glory. Is that what you're doing with your life? Are you reflecting God's perfections and His own excellencies at your home. Are you a vessel of honor at school or at your place of work? Remember that you didn't need to do anything to be saved, but having been saved by grace, you are expected to be God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, good works. For you to be saved, it depended on. God, who has mercy. And having, having been saved, then there is an expectation that you would display God's You become a vessel of honour. That is a vessel for honourable use at every time of your life, at every second in your life whether you are eating or drinking or whatever you do, what does the Bible say? You do it all for whose glory and not your gratification. That's 1 Corinthians 10. 31. So how much would you say your neighbors and your friends and your relatives know you as a vessel of honor? How do your thoughts and words and actions showcase you as a vessel of honor? So we need to be very sober in how we conduct ourselves. And later on, Paul will tell us in chapter 12, I appeal to you, brothers, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. The mercies of God which are at work in you. I appeal to you to be what? To conduct yourselves, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And it goes on to say, do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I appeal to you, by the mercies of God, to stop conducting yourselves like the heathens, like the world. You cannot be bribing like they do, Because you are a vessel of mercy and therefore a vessel of honor and therefore a vessel for displaying God's glory. That's why. That's why when they look at you, they need to see that aspect of God's work in your life. That's what we are being called to. To be. To do. Every single time, every day, every minute. When you're provoked to anger, you need to remember that you're not a vessel of wrath. But most often than not, we display ourselves more to be vessels of wrath because of the kind of anger we display and vessels of mercy. I then notice that uh, we are called, these vessels of mercy are called from both Jews and Gentiles for glory. And who is involved in the calling other than God who shows mercy? Who are the beneficiaries of, of this divine calling? One might be mistaken or even be forgiven to think that it's only the Jews to whom belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving or the receiving of the law, the temple, that is a temple worship, uh, the promises, the patriarchs, the Christ, who is God over all, blessed and forever. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says God called us. That is Paul plus everyone else who believes in Christ, whom he also called not from among Jews only. So it's not that the Jews are excluded, it's that they are not the only ones. Not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. Therefore, this calling involves both Paul and us. It involves both Jews like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Peter, James. But it extends to Gentiles like Ruth. It extends to Gentiles like Naaman. It goes on to Gentiles like, think about this, Nebuchadnezzar. To Gentiles like abed Milik, the Ethiopian, possibly the only convert from Jeremiah's ministry, it extends to Cornelius, and it comes to you who believe. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. God called us for salvation. This is called effectual calling. It means that all those whom God had predestinated into life is pleased in his appointed and acceptable time. Effectually to call by what means? By his word and by his spirit. He brings them out of that state of sin and death in which they were by nature, and God clothes them. And He gives them grace for salvation by His Son Jesus Christ. And what is involved in this calling is that God enlightens their minds. Spiritually and savingly. Let me explain that. Because God is right now doing his calling. If you're not a believer, God is calling you right now at this very moment. He's calling you. And what he does is that he enlightens your minds and where you've been hearing the pastor preach, you really can't make an end or tell of it. Don't quite understand what he is saying. You know, comes a time when the pastor preaches and he preaches and he preaches and then we pray and we go home. And that that could be you. And you come into the service and you hear that. Every Sunday, you hear the thundering of the preacher. But comes through this here, goes through another one Sunday morning, you begin hearing what he is saying, understanding what he is saying, perceiving what he is saying, and you begin reasoning with yourself if there are vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy, and you can't be neither, and you can't be both, where do I start? You ask yourself. You don't want to be a vessel of wrath? What can, how can I flee from being a vessel of wrath? You're reasoning with yourself. God is enlightening your mind by His Spirit, using His Word. And you say, I want to be a vessel of mercy. Today, and tomorrow. And you tell yourself, as the Spirit of God speaks to you, to your conscience that today is the day I cannot leave that door in my sins, I cannot go through that gate in my guilt, I need to leave through that to the feet of Christ, and you begin pleading with the Lord, the Savior, Lord, be merciful to me, I have lied, I have been rebellious. I have not loved you as I ought. I have not, you know, you know all those sins that you have done. And he enables you to see that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. And, and, and without the preacher having to tell you do anything, you plead your own loss. You plead for your forgiveness with the Lord. You don't excuse your sins. Say, but God save me. You hear of the mighty sacrifice of Christ on the cross and you look to him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and you call upon his name and you tell him, Lord be merciful to me today. Save me. Deliver me from My sins, and the Lord is merciful. He saves you. So when we we talk about effectual calling, is that God works in your mind by his spirit using his word and he causes you to receive his word with meekness. Where you could have said, I hope he is listening, you're saying, Lord, I am listening. Where you could have diverted it to other people, you say, no, this is mine. And you know, in this calling, God removes the heart of stone, the heart that is hardened to his word. Where you have been hardened and you say, I wish you will finish faster. You know, I wish the pastor will not continue for the next 10 minutes because I'm dead tired. Instead of thinking like that, you say, I wish he can continue telling me of these wonderful things of heaven. But you don't get tired of hearing and listening. He removes a heart of stone and he gives you a new heart of flesh. A heart that is soft to the word of God. A heart that has a place for the word of God. A heart that, that receives the word of God. A heart that trembles at the word of God. In calling, God renews your will where you are headed. It headlong in your own way, you realize no, this is a way that leads to death. You turn around, look to Christ, and you believe in Him, walk in a different direction that leads to life. This is effectual calling. God does it because He turns around the will of man. And you know, in calling God by His Almighty power, determining. For you, what is good and what effectually draws you to Jesus Christ. And yet, you know, I need to give a caveat that in this calling, you come most freely. You're not coerced. I don't need to tell you too much about hell for you to be so, so fearful and afraid to flee to Christ necessarily. Could be that you will see the beauty and the glory of being in Christ. And you come most freely being made willing by God's grace. That's effectual calling. And so when we read here that God has called them. When you read here of the calling of God. Even us whom he has called. Even us whom God has called. We are called. Some of you think that to be called, you need to be a pastor. If you've been called, you must be a pastor. If you haven't been called, you cannot be a Christian. Now there is a calling. Be a pastor, that's fine. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Calling unto salvation. You're called to believe. And clearly he called us from the stupor of our sins. He called us from being dead in our trespasses and sins. And brought us to eternal life. God called us even when we were lost. God called us even when we were blind. God called us even when we were slaves. He called us. From the domain of darkness into the marvelous light of his kingdom. God called us. Think about that. God called me. You know, if you got a call right now and uh, it's a persistent call on your phone. And you look around, you look on your screen, and because you have installed True Caller, you notice the caller is none other than Dr. William Samoy Ruto. More that the pastor was saying will lose meaning, text and you will walk out and find out what would the president have to do with you, isn't it? Look at you. You would respond like that for. A call from a mortal man. But a call from God. How much do you take it? How how highly do you regard it? And this call comes to you every time you read the word of God. And this call has come to you this morning. Right now. He called us with a holy calling to be holy and blameless before him. He called us to be his own dear children. God called us to be adopted into his family. God called us, not man. Though he may have used human instrumentality like this vessel right here, but God called us by his spirit, using his word. God called you. And God is calling you right now. You heard the gospel of our salvation, and believed in his son. Why did God call you of all people in the earth? Why? Is it because you're very pretty? Is it because you're very wise? Is it because you're very strong? Is it because you worked so hard? None of the above. It's because of his mercy. You know, Paul looks back to the Old Testament and he reminds us of what they wrote concerning what he is writing to us. Because we see the riches of God's glory described by two prophets here, Hosea and Isaiah, quoted extensively. And what is his point? This point is this. There was a time when you, you were not God's people. There was a time when we were not God's people. And he's not just talking about the Gentiles here. The Jews as well you see, you know that story of Hosea. Hosea was commanded by God to marry an adulterous woman called Goma. And in in case you think that this was some myth, mythical story somewhere, the Bible says that she was Goma, the daughter of Diplame, which means a real person who lived At a particular time, and she was very adulterous, very immoral, wicked woman. And then God says to Hosea, Go marry Goma, the daughter of Diblein. And then the Bible says that they had children together. And God did not give Hosea a chance to name their children. He named them himself. He told them the firstborn, this is a name. The secondborn is a daughter. Call her not mercy. Have you ever had someone called not mercy? I've seen a number of people called mercy. Some might be seated here right now, but do you want to be called not mercy? La Rehema. Now, I said that because it's very close to the Hebrew word. I don't think anyone would want to be called La Rehema. But Rehema sounds nice, isn't it? Mercy sounds nice. But this is the the word from God. That the daughter should be called No Mercy. And the son should be called, not my people, low army. In in these names, God pronounced his judgment against the ten tribes of Israel that had become apostate. But thankfully, because he is God of mercy and grace, he said, I will call them my people. But what do they deserve? Not my people those who are not my people, those who are not my beloved, I will call them my beloved. Clearly, they were not justified by their works, but by God's own grace and mercy here. Which means, dear brothers and sisters, we have nothing, we have no claim upon our salvation we cannot say that god saved us because of a b c d that i am or that i did is there anyone who can claim god's mercy or grace or love no if we are saved It's only because of God's saving grace and not our own doing. And what this text serves to show us is that God does not love all people universally or equally. You've heard of this preaching which goes something like this. I have good news for you. God loves you. It's a lie. The preacher does not know whether God loves him or not. Because God does not love everyone in the same way. He loves people in his own way. Because we are in Christ, God's beloved son, we are recipients of the Father's love. We are loved by God and so are God's beloved, God's people. So telling everyone that God loves them is presumptuous. You're presuming on God's love. But it also means that we who have been made sons of a living God need to come to God with a lot of humility. Because we did nothing to deserve it. the current preaching tells us to go to God as if we own God. You know, command your morning. Did you command your mourning this? Arrogance is what is taught as the gospel these days. That you can name it and claim it in the name of Christ. Please now. We who have been so uh, we've been saved at such a tremendous cost and were such wicked people, dead people, sinful rebels, when we've been brought to this grace and this mercy and this love, we need to approach God with a lot of humility. We need to come to Him. With no entitlement whatsoever. Don't come to God saying, because I'm a son of the living God, because I'm a son of prince, whatever I want I can have. That arrogance needs to die. We need to be humble before God. And you see, doctrines of grace humble the pride of man and exalt. The glory of God. So that let whoever, I mean, if you must boast, let anyone who boasts, boast in woe, in the Lord, not in yourself. I mean, what are you? What were worms before God? Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Did he devote that sacred head or such a worm as I? It's the attitude of Christians through the centuries to be humble before God. And when you come before God, we don't walk around jumping and shouting and marching. We kneel before God. Humility. That's the attitude, that's a posture before God. We bow our hands before him. If God were to mark our iniquities, who would stand? Who could stand? Brethren, this also calls us to come to God full of praise and thanksgiving. what God has done for for me, for us, in saving us. He could have done it to someone else and I would have perished in hell. But God saved me. Therefore, I should be thankful to God. So that even when I go through trials, I still thank God. Because I know that he has not left me nor forsaken me. I'm full of thanksgiving, and you know that that's the will of God for me to be thankful in all circumstances and not to be anxious of anything. We are to be so full of thanksgiving when we consider what he has done, because what he has done, we could not have done, and no one else could have done it. Press. Thanksgiving and press. We must be Christians. who relish. Praising God, wherever we are, whatever time. And it's for this reason then that we would be happy to tell others of what God has done for us. We would be more evangelistic. We would be more zealous in telling others of this great and wonderful salvation that we receive from God. Amen? That's where you fail. You don't tell others of what Christ has done for you enough. So I ask today, how many of you shared the gospel this last week? I can assure you there might not be 10. I am an optimistic Christian, but I know, and I know you, you're very afraid of telling others that you're a Christian, you're saved by grace, that this grace has not been depleted, that Jesus Christ still receives sinful men. Please, don't keep quiet. Tell them of the wonders of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What this also means is that you will be a Christian full of joy, even when you go through trials of various kinds. Christians are joyful people. I mean, they are loved by God, been given God's mercy, God's love, God's grace. And this is not being withdrawn at all, ever. And even when we go through kind of trial, we know that, God is testing our faith and our faith being more precious than gold that perishes so that our faith will resort to the praise. Glory of God at the revelation of our Savior. So what are you going through? How can you be anxious and despondent and, you know, all, name it, depressed when you see what God has done for you? You are His beloved. You are the sons of the living God. Rejoice, believer in the Lord, because he has made your cause his own. And so it doesn't matter what it might be, what we know is this Romans eight twenty-eight. He walks out. All things together for our good. Now, the good may not be immediate. It may be immediate. It may be eternal. But he works all things for our eternal good. So, this is a message to lift our souls when we realize what we are before God. God has called us. God has given us his love. He's made us vessels of his mercy, vessels of honor, vessels of glory. The list is so long. But when you think about it, there is really nothing to make us umptuous or depressed but to vex our souls. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. We praise your name, O oh Lord, that you displayed your mercy upon us. And most of us here are in Christ, saved by his blood. We are recipients of your grace, of your love, of your mercy. We are vessels of your mercy and therefore vessels of honour and vessels for glory. Lord, this causes us to be full of thanksgiving and praise. And we praise you, Lord, for saving us at such a tremendous cost. Lord, where we have been unable to present our bodies as living sacrifices before you, help us to see that we are to display your glory, wherever we are, since we are vessels of honour, for your honourable use. And Lord, where we have forgotten that we are destined for glory and the present trials, vex our souls, help us to see that glory in your presence await us, so that we may be able to count it all joy when we fall into trials of various kinds. For we know, Lord, that the testing of our faith does produce now. Remember, Lord. So. Lord, I pray for any in our midst who is yet to know this great salvation that we talk about and we're never tired of talking about it. The Lord, you may help them to plead with you for salvation. They don't leave this room with their sins and in their guilt. but that they may turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting their sins and believing in Christ so that they may live, they may have eternal life. So do hear us, Lord, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen.